Welcome, welcome to the second episode of the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. I'll be talking to Neve Sullivan. Um, she's 26 years old, and when she was in primary school, she got a cancer diagnosis that changed her life forever. I'm not going to give away her story though, um, but just a content warning that if um, this is a topic that's triggering for you, please give it a miss or maybe come back when you are in a better headspace because you matter and you deserve to look after yourself. Without further ado, let's roll the intro, get into it. G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not going to focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations and follow your heart? I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Neve, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. Before we we dig in too far, I want to hear about what younger Neve was like. Because there's there's a few kind of juicy bits to your story and, you know, it can get pretty dark. But I just want to hear about you prior to your cancer diagnosis. Like what what were you like? What were your dreams, your fears? Um, what brought you joy? I think you could ask anybody in my life and they'd tell you that little Neve drove everyone crazy. <laughs> I had so many questions. I didn't yeah. stop walking. It was always why, how, yeah. what? And I think I drove my parents, their friends, my family, everybody insane. Um, probably something that has stuck around and is still you know, a part of who I am today mm-hmm. is the, the question asking and wanting to know why behind everything. Yeah. But in terms of me as a kid, I'd say it was a pretty normal Australian upbringing. Mm-hmm. I had lived at home with mom, dad, and my younger sister, who's mm-hmm. three and a half years younger than me. We lived in Melbourne initially, stayed there till I was about 10. Then I moved to Sydney uh, before moving up to northern New South Wales to Kingscliff. So I moved around a fair bit, but mm-hmm. I was an active kid, super studious, complete nerd. And yeah, was just obsessed with grades and studying right from the very beginning. I mean, I even used to drag my parents to the local primary school before I'd started school just to watch the kids playing in the playground because I was so excited about going. <laughs> wow, I love that so much. Uh, and what were some of your dreams as a kid? Was there were there any kind of thoughts about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, so for as long as I can remember um, as a little kid, I wanted to be a doctor. Mm. And the goal was to be a doctor without borders. And I just wanted to work overseas and I wanted to, you know, really be able to make a big difference in the communities that didn't necessarily have the health support and the medical support that we had in Australia. Mm. I'm not exactly really sure where that dream came from, but you know, I can remember as young as three, four years old wow. playing doctors on wow. my friends, on the neighbours. And, you know, that was right up until probably the later years of high school. That's exactly what I wanted to do. Wow. So clearly you've got a very caring nature. I don't think everybody has that desire to give back and care for people. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, yeah, as I said, I don't really know where it came from at the mm-hmm. time, but I really just had this you know, deep desire to 
give back to these communities and support mm. them in any way that I could. And to me, that came through in medicine, in being a doctor. Yeah, amazing. In your childhood, you received a cancer diagnosis. Now, can you tell me or share with us the time leading up to that? Like what was going on and just share with us that journey? Perfect. So on my last day of primary school, it actually was, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I probably had it for about 12 to 18 months before that point. And I'd been through a series of GP checks, different specialists, different doctors to try and get to the bottom of why I was so sick. So essentially I was having breathing problems. I was losing a lot of weight and was really tired, lethargic. And the doctors had put it down to an infection called microplasma. And so I was being treated for microplasma, which really just is a pretty common infection and something that goes away with antibiotics. But after months and months and months of antibiotics, things just weren't getting better. Mm. And it wasn't until on my last day of primary school that I was taken for an X-ray just to check everything was all right, sort of a confirmation that the antibiotics were doing what they were mm. meant to do. And it was at that point that they found a, um, a cancer in my chest. By that point, it was the size of a grapefruit. So for an 11-year-old kid in their chest, that's that's pretty big. That's huge, yeah. So from that point, it was all a very quick process. So I was at my specialist and then went straight to the Sydney Children's Hospital, went straight in pretty much for a surgery, a biopsy to see what it was. And when I went in for that surgery, my lungs collapsed and all my organs started shutting down and I ended up in an induced coma for two weeks and then woke up two weeks later on Christmas morning, actually. And that was kind of when I was aware of what was going on and what I'd been through over the past two weeks, because Mm. really up until that point, it had just been my sister, my parents and my extended family, not really knowing yeah. what what this all meant, what would happen from here if I'd even wake up out of the coma. So it was a pretty touch and go process for them. Mm. And then from waking up on Christmas morning there, that's pretty much when rehab and chemotherapy both started in conjunction. So rehab to learn how to walk again wow. because my muscles had deteriorated so quickly that I just couldn't move. Mm. And the tumor had actually paralyzed my vocal cord as well. So wow. I couldn't speak either. So it was a pretty confronting sort of wake up when I thought I'd just gone in for a surgery. And it was also the start of two years of chemotherapy. Wow. And what was it like in the lead up to that diagnosis? Like I imagine it would have been quite unsettling not knowing what was going on. I think I was probably a little bit too young to really understand that there could be something bigger at play here. Mm -hmm. And for my parents, it was probably frustrating because the doctors wouldn't listen to them really. They kept saying, you know, these antibiotics aren't working. She's not getting better. Mm. She's sleeping. She's coughing. She's wheezing. Mm. This is not normal for a fit, athletic Mm -hmm. 11-year-old. For me, probably right through the experience, my age, helped in the sense that I could understand what was going on but not to the level where I understood probably the severity of it until hindsight. Yeah, I guess there's a blessing in disguise in a strange sort of way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I looked to the people around me that were 
um, much younger, two, three, four years old, that were going through the same experience and they had absolutely no understanding of what was going on, Mm. which brought its own set of problems. But then if I look to the kids that are a bit older than me, perhaps 15, 16, they had a much deeper understanding, which probably brought its own challenges too. So yeah, yeah, each brings their own unique set of circumstances and challenges. For sure, for sure. And how did you respond to that? If you can think back to the time, you know, you wake up on Christmas Day, your vocal cords are paralysed, you know, you're unable to walk. What what was that like? Well, what I do remember actually before going in for the surgery mm-hmm. when my doctor sat me down and said, you know, this, this black mass, this grapefruit-sized mass in your chest is cancer. Mm-hmm. We just don't know what sort of cancer it is. Mm-hmm. My response was, oh, that cancer bit's fine, but I'm not having any needles. I'm not having any of those. (laughs) So I think that's a little bit where the the naivety came into play. But once I woke up from the coma and sort of couldn't move, couldn't speak, it was, you know, a lot of thoughts, internal dialogue because I couldn't couldn't share that with anyone, It, it was a pretty big sense of missing out. And it was yeah. the things that f- probably sound trivial to anybody else. It was the, you know, oh, all my friends have just graduated primary school. Yeah. All my friends are getting ready for high school. All my friends are having their last summer before high school. And here I am in the hospital, unable to get out of bed. So to me at the time, that felt like the biggest thing, mm. as well as the frustration and the uncertainty. You know, I have always been the type of person that wants to do things that themselves, hates mm-hmm. asking for help. Mm-hmm. And likes having a plan, you know, a to-do list, mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z is what I'm doing today. But I was in a point where I, I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself. Yeah. I couldn't feed myself. I wasn't even eating food. I was on a feeding tube. So that sense of having no control was pretty overwhelming. Yeah. And, I mean, how did you get through? What kept you going? Because I imagine that would have been really quite crippling and lonely. I think... I'm very, very lucky with the support network that I have around me. My parents and my sister are incredible people and they managed to bring a sense of lightness to the the experience. And my dad had this saying that was a day without laughter is a day wasted. Mm. And I think having that as our focus for all of us really allowed us to have a bit of fun and remind ourselves that whilst what we were going through was traumatic for everybody involved, it wasn't just traumatic for me, there was things to look forward to and there was a light at the end of the tunnel. It was just about making our way through the, the challenges that were in our way at currently mm-hmm. and also finding opportunities to bring a little bit of normalcy to the situation. So things like my mom lived in the hospital with me but my dad and my sister lived at home but mm-hmm. Dad would bring my sister in every night and we'd still have a family dinner around my hospital bed. Or my sister would Skype my mum and she would do homework with my mum while she was in the hospital with Mm. me. And all of those little things, at the time I didn't realise how much effort went into bringing those things into play. But now I'm so grateful for having those because it's what allowed me to sort of continue through and maintain that sense of optimism. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing having that kind of support from your family because you mentioned as well that it was traumatic not only for you but everybody involved. Is that something as a family you talk about much or have spoken about in the past? Yeah, definitely. I think you know, if I look from the perspective of my sister who was mm-hmm. eight at the time, wow. it's a big thing for an eight-year-old to try and process and that instability has a really big impact as well. You know, 
she could go to school in the morning and my mum and I would be there at home and she'd come home in the afternoon and we'd be gone and I'd be back in the emergency department or intensive care. Mm. So it was just a complete and utter sense of not knowing what was right around the corner and that had a pretty big impact on her. Mm. And then from my parents' perspective, they weren't only dealing with the, the process of having a child that's really sick, but they still had to keep life running. They, you know, yeah. they, my dad ran a business. My mom worked as a corporate accountant and those things didn't stop. There were still bills to pay. There was probably more bills than before. Mm. So that, that juggling act and not having, whilst our you know, family of four was very close and we are close with our extended family, mm. we're not geographically close to them. They all lived in Melbourne. So yeah, right. we were in Sydney. It's, it's only an hour flight away, but their lives didn't stop either. So mm. just that, that sense of juggling act and having to rely on people, ask people for help, it was a big process for everybody to go through, mm. which probably meant they didn't necessarily unpack and deal with the emotional side of things at the time because they just didn't have the opportunity to. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge struggle. I know for me, um, totally different experience, but I... I have a sister who's 10 years younger and we lost our dad in sort of a freak accident very unexpectedly. And now I'm older, I look back and just think of the load that my mum had to take on. And it's, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? How resilient people are and how they push through. So thank you for sharing that. And I'd love to know how this experience has influenced you today. Like, do you think you're a different person to little Neve that we were talking about earlier? Oh, 100%. I'm a different person to who I was then. I yeah. mean, I I look at the world differently and I have a different perspective, which has probably come from being in a situation where you're sort of forced to consider what matters most to you and what you value the most, who's there for you when you need them the most, mm. and the sorts of little things that they do that have such a great impact on your life. And because of that, I think I'd say that I'm probably quite an optimistic person or uh, I can do it kind of person. Mm. I'm not the sort of person that would easily shy away from a challenge or say no to something because of the uncertainty. And that's also something that when I speak to friends or people that I've met in later years that have been through similar cancer experiences at a similar age, it seems to be a perspective that a lot of us share in the sense of someone tells you you can't do it, well, watch me do it Just twice. watch me, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll forge my own way to get there. I mean, I'll follow the pathway that everybody else follows, but I'll still find a way of getting there and I'll do it 10 times better than I said that I was going to do it mm. to you. I think that's a fantastic outlook to have. And I always think that, you know, from our dark, challenging, traumatic experiences, there is a sort of lightness and opportunity that, that comes from that, you know, not to discount the awful things that had happened, but I think we all have the opportunity to grow. And it seems like you've really taken that in your stride. And one thing for me, I've found, you know, when I talk to people about the loss of my parents, because it happened to both my parents, sometimes telling a story over and over, I become a bit disconnected from it. And I'm curious if you resonate with that at all and how you manage to stay grounded and sort of remember the lessons learned from that experience most definitely I think I have shared my story quite often over the years mm. and it's 
first started back when I just finished my treatment and I decided that I wanted to be able to give back to all the people that had supported me through my journey. But at the end of the day, I was a 13-year-old kid. It's not like I could go and give money to people or I couldn't organize events, anything on that scale. So I looked to the skills that I did have Mm. and what I saw was this love of stories and ability to tell stories and speak. And that's where I first got involved as a guest speaker. And I attended events and I helped host events for the charities that had supported me on my journey. So Sydney Children's Hospital Foundation, the Make-A-Wish Australia Foundation, the Australian Red Cross, anyone that had had some kind of involvement in my life and my journey and my family's journey I offered to help them in that capacity and over the years I did find that the more I shared my story the easier I got it got to share Mm, it in the first few stories that there was there was tears and it was hard making it through but the more the more I accepted that story and the more I realized that it was a part of me and it wasn't something to be not necessarily ashamed of, but not something to hide. Mm. That's when it became easier for me to share it with a purpose and still maintain that connection to it because I could understand that what I was sharing was providing some sort of benefit, Mm -hmm. whether it was supporting these charities to be able to raise the funds that they needed to continue working or if it was inspiring other people that were facing similar challenges, that allowed me to still stay connected to the experience and share in that way that made sense to other people. Mm, I love that. And it's so powerful that you managed to find a purpose through telling your story and actually own your narrative. You know, you mentioned, yeah, accepting it as part of who you are. And I think finding your voice is such an important part of that. And I love that you tell your story because I really think it, it empowers others and encourages them to share their story as well, I think. It's not, I don't think we should compare our stories. We've all got unique stories and they each have their place. So I think it's so powerful. And this brings us on really nicely actually to the work you do now because there's more to, to you than the 11-year-old Neve who, who got a cancer diagnosis and had a really sort of long path of recovery. So tell me about this entrepreneurial journey and where you are now sure so I mentioned earlier that from a very young age I wanted to be a doctor and that's something that I pretty much stuck to up until year 12 and it was after doing a year of chemistry that I was like if if this is what medicine is I'm out I don't want anything to do with chemistry (laughs) so I kind of shifted focus and thought okay well medicine may not be the pathway for me but I can still have a similar sort of effect and a similar sort of impact through the avenue of international relations, you know, mm-hmm. focused on human rights, humanitarian issues. So I started with that at uni. Okay. But it was pretty clear within the first few weeks that that wasn't for me. It was a lot of politics and it just, just wasn't really resonating with me. Mm-hmm. So I took some time off uni and I went to Vietnam and I was working in Vietnamese schools, orphanages, and particularly um, in schools for those with special needs. Mm-hmm. And my role was to work alongside the Australian allied health professionals to help them communicate what they were doing, why they were doing to the families, to the staff, you know, being respectful of the cultural differences, the differences in education and understanding and just making it really clear. And then outside of that, I did some travel around Vietnam by myself and it was my first time traveling solo. Mm. 
it was kind of through that experience that I realized, actually, I love stories and I love telling stories, hearing people's stories, and it's actually a job. You know, I can turn this into a career. Yeah. So I came home from there and changed degrees into communications, majoring in journalism, Mm -hmm. and set my sights on becoming a TV reporter. So it was kind of midway through my studies that I got a job with Channel 7 and Mm -hmm. dropped my studies to part-time, and I was working part-time with Channel 7 in regional newsrooms and then part-time finishing my degree. And then once I wrapped up my studies, went full-time into the TV reporting space. And I absolutely loved it, you know, right from the very first minute. I loved meeting people in the community, hearing their stories, telling their stories and providing them with a platform that allowed them to achieve their goals, whether that was sharing an important message, whether it was raising awareness, whether it was helping their business. And I met so many incredible people and told some pretty amazing stories. But after about a year of doing that full time, I had this itch to do something more, Mm. something a bit different and had been exploring copywriting, freelance copywriting on the side after hours, sort of just looking into the space. Mm -hmm. And then I loved it. I I loved it even more than I loved Channel 7, which I didn't think was possible. So I made a pretty tricky decision at that point to leave behind what I was doing with 7 and in TV reporting and dive headfirst into freelance copywriting. And very quickly, the workload built up. I managed to secure some pretty great clients that had ongoing content requirements and they were looking to build the work that they were doing with me. And it got to the point where I couldn't keep up with the workload anymore. So it was at that point that I set up Infix. And today, Infix is a content and strategy studio. And we specialize in working alongside tech startups that are looking to launch, to scale, or to raise capital. So our job essentially is to tell their stories and to tell it across different channels, different mediums, strategically thinking about where they are now, where they're going towards in the future, and really help them build that creative framework that they need for success today, but in years to come as well. So the way I see it is it's the perfect blend of creativity, out-of-the-box thinking, mm-hmm. but also really strategic and you know breaking down dense information, complex data, and sharing that in a way that anybody and everybody can understand, which ultimately helps our clients achieve their goals. Yeah, wow. I get the feeling you're a very purpose and values-driven person, and I'd love to know if that has helped you navigate these sort of big pivots or decisions you've made? Because you said you started your international relations degree and very quickly went, oh, this is not for me. And I know a lot of people probably just would have gone, oh, well, I don't know what else to do. I'm going to stay. But you made a decision to travel and then you came back and did a communications degree and then you were working at Channel 7 and all this amazing stuff. So have your values and your purpose been like your North Star? A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that if you're doing something you love, you enjoy doing it, Mm. you'll do better work and that results in better outcomes for you. It means better outcomes for the other person on the other end. And I'd like to think that everybody's in a situation where they can find opportunities to do things that they love. It may not be as drastic as a complete career change or changing degrees, all those little decisions that you're making each and every day. 
they have a compounding effect and ultimately Mm -hmm. they accumulate, they come together and they form everyday life for you. Mm -hmm. And I've been in a situation and in a circumstance where I don't know what everyday life looks like or I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. So I, I guess I made a promise to myself then that I'd say yes to opportunities. I'd say yes to things that came my way and I'd try new things because I didn't know where they would lead and that's kind of the fun of it. Right. So it really has guided what I did in my journey to getting where we are today as well as the decisions that I make today and the way that we work with our clients as well. Mm. So what would you say your core values are? Oh, that's a tricky one. Just to put you on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say one of the most important things to me is communication, which Mm. makes sense given the space that I'm in. Yeah. But I think that it's important to maintain that transparency and honesty to proactively communicate to people, to share messages that are important to you, to speak up on matters that matter to you mm-hmm. and to keep that true to you in your professional life and in your personal life. Mm. When we are doing things that we love and we're maintaining consistency in what we do at work and what we do at home, we see greater success across everything that we do essentially. Mm. Mm. And what... What advice would you give to someone who perhaps is deep down, they want to change, but they're feeling really scared and overwhelmed? What advice would you give to a person in that situation? The most important thing that I always have to keep in mind is that there is no perfect time. Right. If you wait and you wait for the perfect time, it'll never come Mm -hmm. because the best time to do something is the time you do it. Yeah. Because it means you've done it. It's out there in the world. You've made that decision. You've committed to something. So there's no better outcome. No matter what happens, you've done it. And you can't Mm. think back in five years' time and think, oh, I wish I had done it then because you did do it. Even if you think, actually, this didn't end up where I thought it would, it's still taking you down a new pathway, giving you a new experience and a new journey. Yeah, absolutely. And has fear of failure ever been a roadblock for you definitely I (laughs) I like to do things and do them well I don't like to half-heartedly do things so the thought of not being able to do it to the standard that I want to do it to has most definitely held me back from making decisions Mm. but I would say in every situation where it has held me back from doing something down the track I'm thinking I wish I had done it then yeah. There's never been a situation where I didn't do something because of the fear of not succeeding and then was grateful that I made that decision. Mm. So it's been a learning curve and an experience to recognize that you don't always know everything. You're never going to be the smartest person in the room, the most experienced person in the mm. room, but you're a person in the room and that's all that matters. Yeah. I love that so much. And for people listening, Neve, you're 25 years old, is that right? 26. Yeah. 26, sorry, almost correct. You're 26 and you recently made it on the Forbes um, 30 under 30. So you're clearly like a high achiever. Um, but 
I'm sure it hasn't been smooth sailing to get to that point. So what what has that journey been like getting there? There's been a lot of learning, a lot of reflecting, a lot of decision-making and being a perfectionist. Decision-making is not always my strongest forte (laughs) because you think about, oh, well, it could be this option, it could be this option, which option is going to be better. So over time I've had to learn how to make decisions quickly, Mm -hmm. how to stick to those decisions and how to trust in the process of those decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious how, what success looks like to you? Like, is it all about the accolades and these awards or is there another side to it too? Success to me is doing work that I love Mm -hmm. for people that it makes a difference for. Mm -hmm. When I can see how our brand stories or our strategies make an impact for tech founders Mm -hmm. it allows them to bring their biggest idea to life or it allows them to take their venture to the next stage that gets me so excited I I can see okay I loved doing this Mm -hmm. and it's having an impact for you so it's a double win Mm -hmm. I also really value the opportunity to be able to to speak to speak to communities to speak to people and to encourage them to chase after their goals as well. I do a lot of keynote speaking and event hosting and emceeing still and seeing the way that an audience can go from having one perception and one perspective and then taking them on that journey, allowing them to reflect Mm. on themselves and their experiences on their goals and then be in a different place half an hour, 40 minutes later when they're leaving that's pretty special to me as well. Yeah, what a transformation to be part of, right? Exactly. So anything that's, yeah, success really is for me. It's just about loving what I do Mm. and taking the opportunity to stop and reflect on what that means for other people. Yeah. And for people trying to figure out what it is they love to do, is there any advice or guidance you can give to those people? Because I know for me it's taken me a while to figure that out and I, I honestly I think it's an ongoing journey. And if I look back 10 years, it was just a really overwhelming time trying to figure out who I am, what's interesting and all these expectations from society, um, you know, this box that I was expected to fit in. How do you, how do you navigate that? <laughs> One of the best pieces of advice that I was actually pretty recently given to somebody was don't spend all your time thinking about where you're going, who you want to be and what you want to do. Instead, focus on where you don't want to go, where you don't want to be and who you don't want to be. Because when you have a very clear picture of that's not where I want to go, you almost intuitively know where you do want to go and you don't have to come to that decision because with every little decision that you make, the answer will come to you more naturally and you'll naturally go down that pathway that takes you to a place that is what you're envisaging and is what you've imagined without all of the the pressure of having to know today where you're going to be in five years' time because in all honesty, most people don't know where they're going to be tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) Facts. <laughs> I love that advice so much. And if I was to flip that on you, 
what how would you answer that question you know who you don't want to be when I was first given the advice and I I did do some thinking about it and I did really take it on board and it came back to what I mentioned just before and I don't want to be the sort of person that's just going through the motions that's Mm. just doing doing what they need to do to go to the next step mm-hmm. what's really important to me is doing work that matters and it may not matter to everybody yeah but it matters to me mm-hmm. and, and that's what matters because that's when I get excited and that's when I do better work as well so I never want to be stuck in that cycle of feeling like I'm not enjoying what I'm doing or feeling like I'm not moving towards something mm-hmm. not, not moving towards a goal mm. No, I love that. And I've I've never explicitly been given that advice, but it's something recently for me too that I've been thinking about. And it helped me make a decision not that long ago to leave my nine to five because I was like, actually, this isn't where I want to be. So yeah, for people listening, if you're kind of struggling with where you want to go, I think it's a useful way to get some clarity on that. It makes decision making a lot easier. <laughs> for Definitely. Sure. Yeah. So I know we're saying sort of don't think about who you want to be if, if you're in that overwhelmed state, but I want to know what's, what's in the future for you, Neve. Have you got any ideas, any aspirations? Uh, it's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. In terms of the future and what that holds, mm. I think some of the work that we're doing at Infix with our clients is pretty special and mm. our clients are working towards some pretty big goals. So I'd mm. like to say that over the next few years – we see that grow and evolve and as they grow, we grow with them. Mm-hmm. And as long as we're telling stories that we believe in, telling stories that matter for them, having the opportunity to share those messages, I feel like we'll all feel like we're succeeding. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what it all comes down to, that, that we're succeeding and they're succeeding because it is a partnership with a lot of the clients that we work with. On top of that, I, I really love, as I mentioned before, having those opportunities to speak and to speak to different communities, different organizations, different groups and share those messages, learn with them, share my experience and encourage other people not to hide the adversity that they've been to or not to try and pack up their, that adversity and block it away in some back corner of their mind because I think for a lot of people adversity that they go through whether that's at work at home with health family friends whatever it may be quite often when understood correctly and approached correctly it can really be a bit of a superpower and I see that when people can hold on to that and leverage that for themselves they can they can achieve pretty incredible things so I'm really loving having those opportunities to share those messages and talk about that with different people from across the community. So I would, I'd love to continue with that as well. That sounds amazing. And to touch on what you were saying about, you know, adversity and not putting it away in a box, I really think sharing our experiences and our stories is one of the best way to connect with people. And I know for me, when I've shared my story, I come across people who have been through adversities that I never knew about even people I've known for years and I go whoa you've just been keeping this inside for so long um so I encourage everybody to just try and own your narrative and share it you can't necessarily change what's happened to you but it's your past you own it and 
you can choose what direction to take that. So I think, you know, someone like you who's using story to have this ripple effect on the community and with startups, it's so amazing because it has such a knock-on effect. And Neve, for people listening who might be interested in what Infix does and maybe the services and perhaps even having you as a speaker somewhere, where can they find you? So in terms of Infix and what we do, that's in the content strategy and website space. Mm -hmm. They can find us on Instagram at Infix underscore studio or Mm -hmm. at infixstudio.com. In terms of myself in the speaking realm and in the consulting space, the best place to find me is either via email, neve at infixstudio.com or via LinkedIn, Neve Mm -hmm. Sullivan. Perfect. To wrap up, do you have a take-home message for the people listening from our chat today or perhaps something else if you want to throw something else in there. What's your take-home message? I always come back to the advice my dad gave 11-year-old me and that's a day without laughter is a day wasted. So find an opportunity to laugh today, find some time to have some fun because you'll see the rewards at work, at home, in every aspect of your life. Yeah. Neve, thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. It's great to chat. If this episode resonated with you at all, could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself and I'll see you next week.